Welcome to the Life Coach Pod. Today we have a great guest and it is Earth Day, 50 year anniversary of Earth Day. And if you didn't know, there is a great article out. Um, let me just make this a little bit bigger so you can see the top here. It's in Vanity Fair. And it's a, a, an absolutely delightful article about with, from a reporter who worked with Margaret Mead when they were um, launching the first Earth Day. But it starts out with a great headline, looking for a ladies room with Margaret Mead. They were in the bowels of the Senate building in DC. And at this time, it actually, it seems like even when I was there, there's not a lot of bathrooms for women. Just what were they thinking? So um, it's a great title to the article, but she talks in here, Just I just abstracted one paragraph because I thought it was such a great way to um, think about what was happening then. So this is 50 years ago. It was April 22nd, 1970. So that's when the hip kids like me were becoming, you know, falling. I was eight years old. Uh, that's when we were like, but I knew Earth Day was important because we were all about save the planet. And that's when we had those cool groovy graphics and everything. Very vintage. I tried to bring a little bit of that to my website because I love that vintage flower power stuff. Um, Earth Day started with a bang, the day-long nationwide program of rallies, teach-ins, and symbolic gestures, such as a car engine burial and campus funeral processions for Mother Earth, attracted the participation of 20 million Americans. That's a lot of people. That's a big deal. About one-tenth of the population. But in her testimony that morning, Margaret Mead warned that anytime Americans think they have accomplished something, their energy and attention tends to flit elsewhere. We wouldn't have women's lib liberation today if women hadn't gone, had gone, hadn't gone home after women's suffrage was won. The point being, and we just brought this up the other day, that American culture is notorious for chasing the bright, shiny object and then forgetting about it as soon as it's been caught or they know what it is or whatever. We have this horrible reputation. It was the big pandemic article I read, I think last Friday, about how the way forward means not doing what we always do, which is once we see the big sexiness of something, we move on. So it's interesting that Margaret Mead warned of that 50 years ago when it comes to Earth Day. And as it is, there are still people, if you can't see it, they don't believe it. Again, I'll remind you, can't see love, can't see God, and yet, you all can function with that. So I don't know why climate change has to have that same problem. So that is a way to kick off our Earth Day show. Um, as we move into our guest today is Cole Chaikin, which I'll introduce, who, who I will introduce in just a moment. It's Wednesday, April 22nd. That's why it's Earth Day. It's the 22nd. It's March 53rd for all of you staying inside. And we have some great guests coming up. Elizabeth Reed's going to be here tomorrow to talk about cutting through the clutter. And uh, Steph, I'm laughing because usually that's when I call out my mom. And then Stephanie Simpson will be here to help us rethink stress. And then I'll be back on Monday for Motivation Monday. And I'm laying up our guests for next week. I think it's going to be great. Um, we have some interesting time capsule moments. And I wanted to do this just a little bit differently today because visuals are so important. Um, what we have, I'm going to just see if I can just move this over. Let's see if I can do this. 10 interesting things about the earth. Hopefully you can see on your screen what this is. But first of all, the earth is not flat, but it's not perfectly round. So you know that it uh, moves with the tides. It moves with um, the planet bulging. It, it's not perfectly round. And so it is an extra 0.3% 
there you go, there's a number you can count on, to make it just a little bit more elliptical, or there's another word for it, but I don't know what it is, it's complicated, I think it's, uh, uh, maybe you know, Cole, I don't know, but there's, yes, it is not exactly perfectly round. Then the next thing is that our days are getting longer. Now, I think this is hilarious. My mom loves sunlight. This is her favorite thing is the long days. In fact, she used to say that June 21st was the saddest day of the year, but she decided to stop saying that because that's when the days start getting shorter. And um, I think it's interesting that we're, the days are getting longer, but not in sunlight, in actual time. You're not going to have to worry about it because it's not going to happen. It's not going to show anything noticeable in your lifetime, but it is interesting that the because of how the tides work and it's slowing the earth's rotation which is what's adding time to the clock i think almost everybody knows this now unless you're weird that the there weren't always several continents that we used to have oh i even listened to how to say this i always said pangea but it's pangaea i think is how you say it and that was we were one giant continent which is interesting cross fact if you were doing Ancestry or 23andMe or anything that goes with our DNA, some of those tests can take you all the way back and let you know if you have um, your core foundation of where you came from in terms of the continents moving, which is to say uh, my daughter is more Neanderthal than I am, which might mean Cole is more Neanderthal than I am too. And that is going all the way back. Okay, um, and so then uh, in the Earth, Earth has had ice ages before, which is contrary to what we're doing now. And some people don't believe it, but the scientists feel very confident that we've had ice ages and it has been very, very cold, like we wouldn't survive. And, but there have been, but some of microscopic organisms are the only things that did survive. And the microscopic organisms are important because that's sometimes what helps us cure things. So. Don't, don't laugh at microscopic organisms. Well, except for coronavirus, you can laugh at that one. I'm sorry, novel coronavirus 19. The driest place on, place on earth is in Chile and it is a de desert that is not hot. And it, is, it went 400 years without rain, which kind of blew my mind. And then, and then just like in 1972, it rained two years after Earth Day was founded, it rained. So another, that's another place they go to look at the interesting microorganisms because they have survived without water, which of course is probably like some of the other planets out there. The Earth's gravity isn't uniform. It depends on where you are. If you're at the mystery spot in Santa Cruz County, you already know the Earth's gravity isn't uniform because there you can be sideways and configured weirdly. And I don't know, I got nauseous there. It made me, it really upset my equilibrium. Uh, but it's good to know that the gravity, Earth's gravity isn't uniform. So. I think that if you want to weigh a different weight, you just need to find out where the word's different. That'll change your weight. It could actually make you lose weight. Well, on a scale. And then you, it's important to know that the past, we have had different sea levels. So we have been much higher and we have been much lower, but we are the, the Earth, what I loved is in the last interglacial period, which was like, you know, how many millions of years ago that was, the water sea level was actually five to seven meters higher. Should have asked for that when you bought your last house. That should have been disclosed in your real estate statement that your beach house was formerly underwater. Um, and then the sun has a voracious appetite. It is using hydrogen 
like crazy. The good news is it's not going to run out. It will eventually burn out. We all, I think we all know this, the sun will eventually burn out. You don't have to put that on your calendar. It's not again going to happen in our lifetime, but there people have actually talked, talked about in our researching, maybe living on another planet. Okay. We have such a bad track record with this one. I don't know that we should have another one. The moon is not the earth's only companion. There are two asteroids one is named Cruithne, C-R-U-I-T-H-N-E. I don't even know how to say that. Vowels and consonants together. But what I do love is the other one is an asteroid that was found, I think, in 2002 because it's called Asteroid 2002. Now, there's some naming. We just talked about naming. That's descriptive naming. And then the last thing, which, I, which is the fun fact of all of this, I think, is there really is something called the calm before the storm. And it happens because as the storm comes in, it draws in warm, moist air, which pulls it up from the surrounding atmosphere, which leaves a low pressure area, which creates these very calm periods as the, as the air is change temperature and descends again. So if you feel if that, that feeling like it's going to rain or whatever, that's probably you picking up on that temperature differential. So there you go. That's my weirdness about the 10 things from NASA about Earth. The other thing that popped up today that I thought was just amazing, and I think um, most of us are seeing these pictures. This is a picture from Tel Aviv, Israel, where a woman is feeding wild jackals, a pack of jackals, because they don't, they're not finding food. I mean, they're not finding the food that they used to find when humans were running around. But this was actually more interesting to me. You, if you look at New Delhi, this is a typical day in New Delhi. It had, there was smog in the air. It was, you know, it just looked filthy cars everywhere. Because people are sheltering in place for the first time, probably ever in our lifetimes, you can see the whole horizon. You can see things in sparkling clarity. This is on the Napa Valley Register, if you want to go look at this article. In Europe, let me see if I can make this just a little bit bigger to show what's happening here. In Europe, you can see where the red zones are where we had pollution happening. And this one is, um, let me pull this up just a little bit so I can see it. But this is actually showing nitrogen dioxide concentrations over Europe basically disappearing. There's still some as we are up in the dense area of um, up by uh, Paris, but in Milan has a little bit, but otherwise we're cleaning up the planet, you guys, just by staying home. If you think about how important that is happening in New York, people are staying home, areas that were highly polluted are no longer seeing that level of pollution. So follow these things. If you look in, uh, there's a picture at New Delhi of just running, a guy running in the typical smog in those god-awful gray-pink smog pictures we've all seen of Beijing and other places in India. And now it's crystal clear. Like, I'm so spoiled. I live on a coastal city. I get to see crystal clear a lot. But, but I pay a lot. I, I live in a bungalow that costs way too much money because I live on the coast. That's it. So my point is, we're really having an impact. Things are changing. It's for the better. Even something is silly in California. We have the Central Valley where we have two highways. Um, but the big one is State Route 99, which is, if anybody's driven it, you know how fun it is. It used to have old citrus orange juice stands, all kinds of cool stuff. You have the trucks where you do the woo-woo and make them honk. 
just the traffic of staying home, being shut down, has cleared up that valley. In fact, you can see it here in Sacramento. You can see the Sierra now from downtown Sacramento. When we have a regular no cloudy day, it's stunning what you can see. And that's just from us staying home, which is such a good way of segueing into where we're going with um, today with talking about Earth Day. The last thing I put together, just really quick, because I'm all preachy about my Earth Day, because I care a lot, and Cole, you're almost up, is the 10 things you can do to save the Earth. You know these things, but I tried to call them from a series of lists because I wanted to get um, something that felt a little more tangible and powerful. So the first, obviously, is to conserve water. And then the big one that's around here, especially during shelter in place, is reduce, reuse, and recycle. Not only are we cooking all of our own food, which at some point is exhausting, but we are huge on the Craigslist and the next door for the bargains. And that's the reusing. And then reducing is we're making a point of not using, using glass containers to recycle things. We'll even, if we empty a jar of something, we'll save that jar to be used like a Tupperware going forward. So we're trying really hard to reduce, reuse, and recycle. We are composting. Well, Katie's collecting earthworms. I don't know if that's really composting, but you don't have to do a lot to compost. You can just even have a pile for your leaves instead of having those god-awful blowers around. Composting is good. It's good for the earth, and then the earthworms love it. Buy local and buy less, meaning do you need all that stuff, and do you know where it comes from? I think that I have been really bad at paying attention to where things come from and how far they're getting traveling to get here. So I have become a very big freak about buying local. Of course, that goes with my reuse philosophy. Plant a tree, plant something. We take too many plants out in this world. We need to put some back in. Manage your energy consumption. That's easy because we're all staying home, so nobody's using gasoline. But also other kinds of energy, electricity, using um, low-carbon light bulbs, LED lights, turning off power when you don't need it, all those kinds of things. Avoid and replace plastic. Huge one, the dollar store, bad. There's nothing there you need that's that plastic. That's just, that's just landfill. Let's think about it. You know it is. It's junk. Can't eat off of it if it's made in China. You're not supposed to eat off that stuff. So avoid plastic. Eat less meat because it takes a ton of water to produce meat. And then um, make sure if you are lucky enough to have investments, make sure what you're investing in are green investments. You can talk to your money manager about this or your investment person and make sure that what you're investing in are the things that are aligned with your values. And then finally, be political, which is of course what leads us to Cole because when I first met Cole, and I wanna to transition to Cole now, when I first met Cole, she was a young woman who was, introverted and quiet and um, happens to be my daughter's half-sister because we share a sperm donor and she was she's delightful but now she's a kick-ass grown-up and she's graduated college and Cole I'm gonna stop sharing and have you start talking about what you are doing because you have really you're doing a lot yeah um so first of all, I, I just want to say Jen met me when I was around 10 years old. Yeah, so yeah. she is right that there has been a lot of changes. It's not like in the last two years, I suddenly decided that um, I wanted to become super political from never talking. But so I, my name is Cole Chaikin and 
Um, I'm currently a legislative aide for Supervisor Warren Slocum in San Mateo County. But um, before I was in this position, when I was in college, I got involved with an activism group called CalPERG. Um, it was actually the student version, so it's CalPERG students. And so that organization was working to push for 100% renewable energy in the state of California. Um, and so I joined in towards the end of 2016, right around the election. Um, and then I was working with them all throughout college and I graduated and I became one of their political organizers. So I went to a different college campus um, to help organize college students to do this work as well. And by the, by September of my first year working with them, so I believe that was um, September of 2018 going into 2019, um, we, Sorry, it was, it was right when I started working with them, actually. We convinced the state legislature of California to pass a bill that would say that all buildings in California, when they have, and um, pretty much anything that uses electricity would have to be run off 100% renewable electricity. So if you have a building that's already run by natural gas, that's that would still be allowed, but um, if, it, if it's using electricity, it has to be from solar power, wind power, um, sometimes hydroelectric power, but mostly solar and wind, those were the main two, which was a big switch away from um, natural gas energy, which contributes to climate change. And so that was probably one of my um, biggest accomplishments working with them. I've also worked on their um, Replace Plastics campaign, which helped to convince um, more local governments to ban plastic takeout containers and replace them with either reusable or compostable containers. Um, also some stuff around pesticides, but what I really want to talk about today is climate change. So that is my introduction of myself. Can I ask you a quick question? Because I'm, I'm secretly political uh, jealous. I have jealousy that you were able to influence legislation, and did, you know, it, you said it a sentence like it sounded so easy, but I actually believe there were probably hours and hours, if not years, of work to get to this point. And and even though California tends to be more open to these kind of ideas, we, I know, especially at the Central Valley in particular, has a much more conservative group of folks who mm -hmm. feel like all we're doing is taking stuff away from them instead of trying to get them to adapt. How, how hard was it or what was that like to try to get that to happen? So it was pretty hard. Um, so it was, that campaign had actually been sort of going on maybe with different goals for about 10 years before I joined. There we go. Okay. So, um, yeah. so <laughs> that's yeah, what so I was thinking. Yes. It transit, it, it transitioned to a hundred percent renewable electricity somewhere along the way, closer to when um, we thought a bill for that would be introduced. 
Um, but before that, it was just like 50% renewable energy and 75% renewable energy and transition away from um, gas cars to electric cars and make sure that we have good public transportation. Um, so that was something that was built up over a very long time. Um, and then when I was working on it, we had to do a really big push to actually get the bill passed. So um, we signed up, I think it was like almost over, I think it might have been over 20,000 uh, college students across California. Um, and so unfortunately, politicians don't really like to see just oh, I, I like this, so I'm going to sign something. Um, unfortunately, those kind of petitions don't work very well anymore because we have these like big email blasts where people just click a button and they're like, sure, that sounds good. Um, so what we had was we had students actually sign up to contribute to the organization, which both helps fund the organization so that they could hire people like me, um, as well as show that these people like really care about it and are willing to put money towards it. Um, so we had most students sign up for it about um, $30 a year. That was like the, the most likely contribution and that would be spread out over time. They would pay um, like $10 every couple of months. Um, and so we brought that list of students to the state capitol in Sacramento and we showed it to all these politicians and said, this is how many people are willing to pay for renewable, pay extra for renewable electricity. And these are just college students. These aren't like any other groups of people. These are just college students. So that's so interesting because I think that also speaks to how advocacy has changed slightly. And I know Elizabeth Warren did it hugely in her campaign, which is a couple bucks. Because if you're mm -hmm. willing to put money in, if you're somehow willing to commit even a little bit of money, it means it is important to you. It's a lot easier than an online petition. So mm -hmm. anyone who believes in something that's listening right now, and you want to show that you truly advocate, you don't have to give a ton of money, but a little bit of money starts to build the list like you're talking about yeah. the shows. Here are my advocates who's on board with this. I really like that kind of insight to how things are working now. Thank you. Yeah. That's good. It, it also just helps the organization in general, whatever organization it is, because it, I, I know that when we look on like Charity Navigator, they give people or organizations lower ratings for like putting in a significant portion of their contributions towards staff. But like, it's really hard to run a 15 year campaign without staff. I don't know how that would have been possible. So. I, you know, you bring up the other good point is I think that people like, like what happened, you say we got this legislation through, they don't understand how much work it takes, how much influencing, coalition building, communicating, messaging, all of that stuff. Yeah, that's a lot of heavy lift. Political mm -hmm. campaigns, unfortunately, candidate campaigns don't quite look the same as these yeah. kind of um, changes in our overall behavior and changes in the kind of laws that we want to see changed that will help improve the earth. So tell me, okay, so climate change, this, this right. is your, this is your baby. Mm -hmm. 
tell me about what do you do? Are you, it's, is it part of work or is it just like your gig, your, your side gig that that's the thing that your passion? Um, so right now it's mostly my um, side gig and over time I've actually, um, I, I've sort of changed my views on like where my purpose is um, because I've started focusing a lot more on like the human component of climate change. I think when I originally got into it, um, it was like the, the typical sad pictures of polar bears on drifting icebergs, but um, the human part of it is also extremely important. And we're at the point now where we, there are definitely things we can do to stop and slow climate change. Um, but we're also going to have to do a lot of mitigation. So my work right now is on a lot of different topics, not just environmental, not just climate change, but um, I am in a position where I have influence over the sort of like mitigation measures that we consider and the ways in which we prepare to help people. For example, if there's like a large fire that's caused in part by rising temperatures and climate change. Um, like, what do we do to help those people? Well, I like it. Okay, so this idea mm -hmm. of mitigation, which it's, God, there's a couple words that people keep throwing around that I'm not sure everybody knows. What, <laughs> what is asymptomatic, meaning don't have symptoms, which is so weird. Yeah. If you hear symptomatic and think they have them, but no, asymptomatic means no symptoms. And mitigation actually means to get in the way to stop the damage, maybe to slow it down to mm -hmm. somehow, I always think of mitigation as just you're somehow getting in the way of the thing that's moving forward. You're going to mitigate its progress. Going to, so, yeah. and, and well, even if we do things that start to that, like I just read my list, if we, if we all make small changes, I know that matters, but I think it's been really revealing with COVID to see how much us absolutely stopping some things have been amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, the differences and the changes have been amazing. What are you doing? What can you do at, at just a county level? Where are you seeing opportunities for mitigation? Um, so one of the biggest things that came up recently uh, is this type of ordinance called reach codes. Um, so a reach code is an ordinance that only affects buildings that haven't been built yet. Um, which, so one of the ones that came up recently was was a reach code for fully electric buildings because there are some buildings that are powered partially by natural gas. And first of all, that's a little dangerous. Um, we've, ha we've had a lot of gas ruptures that have caused fires. Um, I mean, electricity can cause fires as well, but gas ruptures tend to be a little bit bigger and harder to handle. Um, and then second of all, uh, gas is non-renewable. There are forms of electricity that are renewable. So that's why we want the buildings to be all electric. Um, so as I said, these reach codes are just for buildings that haven't been built yet. So when this gets passed, it then becomes um, a law for building new buildings. Uh, so if you want to build a new building, you're no longer allowed to have it be mostly natural gas 
power. I think there are some things that are still allowed to be natural gas, but it's mostly electric and which makes it so that the building can be completely renewable once our electricity is all renewable. So I don't think I realized how much natural gas was used. You know, we don't see it. Most mm -hmm. of us go to work, the buildings are, especially, you know, for me, it's Silicon Valley where there's just tons of buildings tons of humans. We don't all need to go to work, which now everybody's learned. You don't have to go, always go to work. Um, but I didn't realize how much natural gas was behind a lot of that energy. And, I, and the buildings have always driven me crazy because, well, they finally put in the switches that like go off when you're not in the room, right? Or if you're mm -hmm. quiet at your desk, but, but at least something, because there would be so many times I know when I would leave the Valley in the nineties where the lights were just all on, just on, and, yeah. and I didn't realize that the power structure behind all that, I guess I just thought they were pulling off the grid and, and using all the power. But as you're saying now, we're, the, the construction of the new buildings being smarter and, and then being more flexible, right? So they, mm -hmm. they, can, they can go on into the future as we use different kinds of electricity. Based on your research, what, do, you, do you have a preference over wind or hydro or what do you think is really where we're headed? Um, the best thing is a mix of everything. Oh, um, okay. Anything that doesn't produce greenhouse gases or that produces very minimal greenhouse gases. I know that there's some minor arguments about whether or not solar panels, like when they're produced, produce greenhouse gases. Um, but when, when they're actually used, they're not producing greenhouse gases. So they are renewable. So this you it can be solar it can be wind it can be hydroelectric and we really need a mix of everything um because some power some types of power are better at different times um like they're more like obviously solar panels are more effective when during the middle of the day when the sun's right overhead um and so you need a little bit of wind power to supplement that um, when you still need the same amount of power, but say it's nighttime, unless you have batteries installed. Um, but we're, there are a lot of different ways in which to reduce the use of, use of batteries by combining all sorts of... But, mm -hmm. but, but there are a lot of different reasons why it's important to use a mix. So that mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. and is. Is energy the most important thing we should look at right now? Are there other any other big trends that are really important when it comes to climate change? Um, energy is really the biggest one. The other ones that are impactful are agriculture, um, specifically like the meat industry um, and just production in general, um, especially production of plastics. But a lot of those things can also be impacted by renewable energy. Um, and just switching to renewable energy would help a lot. So we've grown a society that's um, energy hungry, let's face it, even Staying at home, I know, well, I'm watching Netflix. I'm sure a lot of people are watching streaming. I mean, we're so lucky to have, for those of us that have it, to have the internet, to have 
electricity to, and we're heating our homes and all of that. But at the same time, there are things like being conscious about choices of what you're eating. Cause I do know that the meat industry burns a ton of water and power. I mean, mm -hmm. just resource, it's a resource hungry industry. Yeah. The, the big part of the meat industry that a lot of people focus on as well um, is just the mass of animals. So because we're like artificially breeding these animals, there's a lot larger population of them than would be originally. And cow farts actually contribute to climate change as well as the farts from a lot of other animals. So that's a big contributor from the meat industry. Lulu. No, sorry. <laughs> cow farts are little. Um, yes, but so, but I get what you're saying though. It's just this density. It's a, it's mass production. It's interesting that we've, uh, it's not interesting. It's, it's tragic that these um, COVID outbreaks are happening right now at these meat processing centers, which also tell me that they're probably not very good for humans either in the production of meat because these people are too close together and working in situations where they're just, they're on top of each other. They have to be there. And it sounds like it's not the cleanest environment which again should then make you think about the food that you eat and understand, and I'm, I'm not a vegan or vegetarian. I know you are a vegan, but, um, but I definitely have definitely changed my diet and meat is absolutely not very much a part of it. Meat is rare in this house, rare. Yeah, you know, and, and then I do wanna address, cause you're talking about individual changes that a yes. person can make. Um, and I kind of want to address that for a minute because the large companies that are producing these things with such a large quantity of greenhouse gases have convinced us that it's our fault, not theirs. Um, and so although there are individual things that you can do, the biggest way that you can impact is by helping contribute to these like large scale, either like governmental changes or changes on like company levels um, to change it like across the board because there are ways to produce food without producing a ton of greenhouse gases um, and there are ways to have electricity and have the internet without having a ton of greenhouse gases as well. Oh my god that's such an important nuance because you're right it puts it back on us they're not mm -hmm. taking responsibility we're watching we have a president who's currently decimating the environmental protection agency rolling back safety regulations. I'm not even sure why, it, other than like, it's like a cocktail party activity for him because it doesn't, it's not helping us. It's not helping anybody. And these are laws that people work just as hard as you did on getting passed and, to, and these regulations getting passed and then have them rolled back for what feel like very capricious reasons is nuts. Mm -hmm. And then the blame gets shifted to us and the responsibility gets shifted to individuals, which most of the individuals I know that care about climate change are doing everything that they can. So your point is yeah. valid. It, we, if we focus our energy on working with the non-government organizations in particular, I'm sure, NGOs, they call them NGOs, if you've heard that, they're very important in our political structure in the US. They aren't the same as a political action committee, although they might have one, but they are not necessarily that they're trying to create change by working through organizations like what Cole worked for, CalPerg being one of them, where they work to create change. So CalPerg is an NGO, right? It's a non-government organization. 
right? Yeah, it's a 501c4. So yeah, that's yeah. an idea. So I really love your point about us getting involved with and supporting those organizations if we really want change that's going to be meaningful, mm-hmm. where we could have a big impact. Yes, take personal responsibility for what you can. That's just the right thing to do. But more importantly, if you can spare a few dollars, again, I brought up investments. If you invest in things that are supporting these efforts, you're now starting to have an impact on a much more broad scale. Is that, mm-hmm. am I getting it? Yeah, that's great. That is your point? Yeah, that's my point. I think that's really powerful. And I think that's, um, I think that's helping, helps us understand where to put our efforts. So, okay, so you're doing this kind of work now. What's going to be next? Where, where do you think you're going to go after this? I mean, what do you like about legislating? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, and the where am I going to go next part is also a very interesting question. I think that the thing that I like most about my current position as far as like the legislating part of it is um, the power to sort of like be in like to quote Hamilton be in the room where it happens um, nice. Nice. and be there with, with these people that are um, very compassionate and interested in helping other people but might not have the specific knowledge that I have so I can sort of interject and say, hey, wait, you put this thing in there that is has great intentions but might have bad environmental consequences or just not as great of an outcome as you want environmentally. Um, and here's some other ways to look at this and here's why this community organization in our community supports this type of plan. So are you, are, are you going to be the politician next or are, uh, so, um, staff? like what's, what's <laughs> the coveted job? Again, good question. Um, I'm still trying to decide whether I want to stay on the political route or go into the legal route Um, because laws are very important to have on the books. Um, But as we've seen with a lot of things, those laws also end up being debated in courts a lot of the time. Um, and that has a big impact on individuals, um, as well as a lot, a lot of people may not know this, but you as an individual have the right to say like sue companies for hurting you with their like environmental contaminants. Um, and, but you need a lawyer to do that. So that is one of my considerations there. Silk wood, silk wood. (laughs) Okay, I'm showing my age. But if you guys haven't watched the Karen Silkwood show on Netflix or wherever it is, it's so good, the movie Silkwood. But it's that that's the idea of she stood up against her company. She stood up for what was right. She stood up for her fellow workers. And uh, the story doesn't end so well. But it kind of does. I mean, it kind of does end well in that it, it's everything about 
you need to be able to fight for what you believe in. And that's, I'm a big fighter. So there you go. I, that's my jam. I'm going to open the line for questions. Anybody on the phone have any questions for Cole while we're, while we're wrapping up? This was, it's so interesting first to see you all wrote up and then, um, but it's also, I just, you're so informed about this stuff and I'm really inspired that our youth, I guess you're still a youth, our youth are out there focusing on the things that matter. That makes me feel really good. And it gives me hope because of course, the millennials who are ahead of you slightly um, have taken a hard rap and I don't think it's a fair rap about not being involved. And now we have you guys coming up that are voting at least the ones I know are voting and you care. I, I, I know I get it. There's a lot of young people who are disenfranchised, but at the same time, the only way to get franchised is to start expressing yourself and voting and getting out there. So I'm super excited to see your level of involvement and that your career is taking you in this path of, of advocacy. That's so good, whether it's individual advocacy as a lawyer or whether it's legislative advocacy, yeah, try to say those words. I'm sober and it's hard to say. So um, I want to thank you so much for coming, Cole. I think that's been great. And I don't have any questions. There's nobody with questions right now, but I will go ahead and preview who's coming up tomorrow. We have Elizabeth Reed here. She's going to talk about how to get through all that crap that you need to re-upcycle or reuse or put on Craigslist and let somebody else have. That'll be great. And I want to thank you, Cole, very much for coming today. Everybody else, Come tweet with me on Twitter. That's my fun, um, raucous place to play. And I want to thank you, Cole, for coming. And, and I'll end today's show with the, with the big goodbye, everybody. Mm -hmm.